Well, good morning, everybody. You guys ready to go? Really? Are you ready? I know, I tell you, uh, spring forward is torture for those of us who love to stay up at night. I mean, this is like one of the hardest things is waking up an extra hour early for us late nighters. And so we are going to spring forward towards the cross this morning. And Wade just prayed, but I feel like I need to as well. And so, God, we go, go excited about your word, excited about you and what you have to speak to us. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't allow any barriers, anything to get in the way from your word and what you have to say to us. That you, may you speak through me, God. And I know it's only um, your words, and it is only you who changes lives. I'm not good with words, but you are so very eloquent, God. And so I pray you speak so tenderly to our hearts this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I don't know if you figured this out yet, especially in our city. Um, the fact is, we are very fragile. I know that may insult your American masculinity or the steel curtain we have here, right? The steel city. But the fact is, we're all very fragile. It takes just a simple event, a simple phone call, a diagnosis for your world to be rocked. A simple phone call, that's all it takes. I received a phone call, I remember once when I was um, a senior in college preparing to go into the ministry. I received a phone call, one of the ones that you don't forget, and uh, it was my mom on the line, and it was about my sister, my oldest sister at the time. She's 16. Her name is Holly, and so she begins to explain to me, your sister is pregnant, and I remember the reaction there. One, it was unbelievable. It took a little while for that to set in when you receive a phone call like that. First, I'm like, where's the shotgun? (laughs) You know, we're in Texas. I'm going to hunt this guy down. The second one, of course, we all know and maybe you're familiar with is what was she thinking, right? What was she thinking? That was one of my reactions. And then, what's the plan? You know, when you receive news like that, it really shifts and changes your family. And a lot of things have to be figured out. There's a lot of questions. What's going to happen next? And um, the good news was this, is that she decided she's going to keep the baby. I was very proud of her for doing that. And, uh, you know, it was very mature of her making that decision. She's going to keep the baby. And so really excited about that. Well, my year progresses, and I'm close to graduating. Uh, I believe it was around seven months later, and I receive another phone call, one I will never forget as well. Um, She's in labor. And so I'm super excited. I'm like, yeah, she's having the baby. Let's go. You know, I'm going to leave tomorrow. I'm still at school, so I'm going to drive home, and I'll be there and, you know, try to be there for the labor and everything like that, and so I'm really excited, and the problem was is that it was too early. She's having it two months too early, and they um, were concerned that she would still lose the baby if she had it, and so she decided to go forth with it, and so I remember that night praying. I mean, when you get news like that, I mean, you pray at a different level than you do every other day, right? You receive news like that, I mean, you are praying. And so, so I am totally believe in God. You can save this child. Totally believing she did the right thing. God, you're going to be faithful. And so, so I remember um, the next day, you know, I'm driving home, going to go to the hospital. I got my worship uh, music going, jamming, you know. I'm like so pumped, full of faith that God's going to do awesome things. And so you get to the hospital 
I go to buy some flowers, because that's what a big brother has to do, and then I realize how expensive the flowers are at the hospital. It's ridiculous. The price you pay, I mean, it is a ripoff. Don't ever do that. Buy them before you go, okay, just so you know. And so I get the flowers for a college guy. That's really, I mean, that's hard. I get the flowers. I knew I had to do it. Then I make my way up the, uh, the elevator to the floor that she was at and make my way down the hallway. And then I find my mom who's outside her room. And uh, she says, you came too late. She uh, had the baby and lost it already. And I tell you, there's such a heaviness that just, you know, comes on you in a moment like that. And so as the big brother and the strong brother and the believer amongst the group there, you know, I go into the room and um, sometimes you just don't have words to say. You know, you just don't have the words to express. And I do what I can and what I've been trained to because I just, you know, been studying how to handle these circumstances. And then you get in a circumstance like that and you're like, I don't really know what to say or how to handle these things. And so I hug her, I pray with him. I just present. And I don't cry. I don't get too emotional. I just knew I needed to be strong. And then, then I remember leaving that room, and I remember getting back in the car. And I remember then it hit me. In that moment, it just was overwhelming. I began to weep. I began to weep for my sister who was doing the right thing. But, but at the same time, I mean, just the pain. And I just felt just this heaviness And I'll be honest with you, man, I really struggled in the next weeks following. Like, there was some doubt, there was some struggle, there was some questioning with God. I mean, it was, I wrestled it out with him, and I know that you're like, I thought all our pastors are like superheroes, right? Like, you think underneath this, there's a super cape and all that, but the reality is, I'll be honest with you, man, I really doubted, and I really struggled really question, like, God, why would you allow that to happen? But here's the good news, is that the Bible isn't unfamiliar with those who doubted. The Bible isn't unfamiliar with those who struggled, who had their issues, with difficulties, with hardships. Rather, the Bible is very real. The Bible's full of real crises and real issues, real troubles. It's not fairy tales or cartoons. But it's real. In fact, it's so real that it actually gives itself credibility. I mean, if you think about the early New Testament writers like Peter, he's writing, he's telling the stories of his life. I mean, you think about Peter. Peter was a failure in many levels, in many ways. And if you're going to tell a story about yourself, I'm sure you're going to make yourself look good. Peter does not do that, does he? I mean, he talks about his failures, he talks about his struggles, and he's honest and open. And in fact, it's so real that it gives itself credibility. In fact, actually, it's so detailed that in today's text, it shows that it's not an allegory or symbolic, but that it's real. So will you turn with me to Mark chapter 4 in your Bibles and verse 35? We'll begin to look at our text this morning. It says, That day... When evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go to the other side. Well, what was that day? Well, that was the day that Jesus was teaching in the crowds. He had been busy doing ministry. It was probably a full day, and I'm sure everyone was pretty tired. 
evening. He said, on that day when evening came, this is important detail for us, meaning that it was probably dark. You know, that there's not lights like we have today on the boats, whether lights are only by candle or by fire. So you've got to get that perception, it is dark time. It is dark, it is evening. Well, let's go to the other side. Well, what's the other side? Well, the other side is the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had ministry to do on the other side. Now, this isn't Christ Church Pond over here, right? This is a large body of water, 13 miles long, 8 miles across. And so when Jesus asked of this, the disciples are going, man, I can only imagine, 8 miles across, that's a long way to row. So it's a big task asked by Jesus. Now, the scripture doesn't say what their attitude was, but they did so obediently. Very impressive of the disciples. So they set sail. They get in the boat. They all gather. They're like, all right, we're going to go. We're going to be obedient. So they set sail. They, t- they take turns rowing the boat. There's 12 of them plus Jesus. But then, but then things begin to change. We notice that the winds begin to pick up. We notice that the clouds begin to cover the skies. Now, this was common at night, especially in the Sea of Galilee, known for at night it's windstorms. And the disciples probably think we got this. We got this under control. We are professionals. They were. Their fathers were fishermen, so they're professionals. They've done this before. They got this. But this time, it's different. This time, the storm continues to intensify. A storm is rising. The waves are increasing as they hit the boat, beating against the boat, rocking back and forth. Rain has started to pour down. Lightning flashes in the skies and the thunder is roaring. I can imagine, can, do you get the scene of what is taking place? Nervousness now begins to set in on the disciples, which they thought they had control before. Now they're losing control. An interesting thing I found in my studies is that many Jews at this time believe that the seas symbolized the power of evil. It was threatening to destroy God's creation, God's people, and now them. They saw the seas as evil. I can imagine the anxiety, the heightenedness that's taking place because water is now pouring into the boat. They're nervous. They're wondering, are we going under? Could this be the end for them? Have you ever felt this way? In a situation, in a storm, that you're just gasping for air? Not so sure about tomorrow? I would say that we'd all have felt that way. Not so sure what's going to happen. The universal answer to that question is yes. We've been in storms where we've thought there's no chance for tomorrow. I remember in second grade feeling this way. Uh, a friend of mine spilled the beans to the rest of the class that I had a crush on a girl. I heard about it. Some people were making fun of me. And in second grade, I remember like I was bawling and crying because I thought my world was about to end. I remember that. And that's in second grade. I remember that feeling that tomorrow isn't going to happen for me. It's interesting that Jesus tells a parable about two men who built a house, one on the sand and one on the rock. And then he says this, when the storms come, 
not if the storm's going to come, but when the storms come. When. And that is the reality we live in. If you haven't figured it out yet, storms come. They sure do. But I love here, we look in the scripture, verse 38, that in the storm, the disciples knew where to turn. They find Jesus, verse 38, Jesus was in the stern. He was sleeping on a cushion. So they turned to the one who was sleeping. Not the one who was stressed out. Not the one who was worried about their safety. To the one who is unaffected by the storm. He's asleep. He's worn out from doing ministry and teaching. You know, he taught a lot. He traveled a lot. He's been in the desert, which means there's a lot of heat. So you can imagine that he's just worn out. Really, he sounds like a teenager. I mean, who could sleep through a storm, right? Only a teenager. 15 minutes more, I can only imagine, right? 15 more minutes more. But we see in verse 38, the disciples woke him saying, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? In other translations, it translates this. It says, they woke him shouting. Shouting. And here's an interesting thought for you. The storms don't wake him, but the cries of his people do. He doesn't hear the storms, but he hears the cries of his people. Jesus gets up, and he utters a command of utter simplicity. Peace, be still. Or quiet, be still. No pumping himself up, no pep talk. He just looks in the storm, and he commands its obedience. And it listens and obeys like a compliant child. Some of us wish our kids would be that way. The winds stop. The waves are calm as glass. I mean, it's a pretty freaky incident. Everything goes still and at peace. This force of destruction, this ungovernable, unstoppable power that was wreaking havoc in their world has obeyed. Only God can control it. Uh, Tim Keller, he tells uh, a story of King Canute. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's a Danish king in the 11th century. And the king was getting so much praise from his servants and countrymen. They were flattering him so much excessively and referring to him as godlike. So he responds to them. He takes all, this, all these people, his servants, his countrymen, down to the ocean. And he goes and he shouts at the waves, stop. And of course the ocean kept coming. The waves kept going. See, he was saying only God can stop the seas. See, there are those who claim power. And you may know them. There are those who speak in this name or because I have power because I've done certain things or because of this. But they don't know real power. Jesus doesn't do anything, anything like that. He doesn't wave a wand. He simply utters a few words and it obeys. He simply says, peace, be still. He's saying, I'm not someone who claims to have power. Rather, I am power itself. Others may speak of power and think they have power, but I am it. 
And for those of you who know or think you have power, it's only on loan from him. Now, I've skipped over a very important question in the text. And it's really important if you look back, and it's this. Teacher, do you care if we drown? Or what we all really want to ask God at some point in our life is, why would you allow this? Why would you allow me to suffer? Or maybe we know somebody who suffered. Why would you allow them to suffer? Or maybe the question is, how could you allow this to happen? If you're such a loving God. Those are honest questions. And there are some real reasons that God allows these things. First, I'll tell you this, is I believe God allows storms in our lives so that we may come to saving faith. That there are storms that come into our lives so that we realize we really need him. You look at Saul. I mean, Saul in the book of Acts, he was an enemy of God. He was out to kill Christians. I mean, literally that was his mission and his journey. That's what he was about. And God says, I ain't having it. God blinds him for three days so that he could really see. Now, if you got blinded, I'm sure that is a storm in your life so that he could really see. See, God uses storms to save us. I mean, that's my testimony. He used a car wreck, a breakup with a long-term girlfriend, and me dry heaving over the side of a pickup truck in the middle of Arkansas to save me. Literally, that's my testimony, is that God used a storm so that I may come to saving faith. And maybe that's why some of us doubt today. We really struggle with, with doubt in God is because we don't have the hope. That maybe the reason why you're here today and you're struggling your storm is because you haven't come to know him. So here's your invitation. The storms in your life may be pointing you to the cross. That doubters are welcomed. Doubters are welcomed. Those who struggle are welcome to follow this king, Jesus. And the invitation is here for you today. Are there troubles? Yes. Another reason why storms come is because of our actions. Have you figured this out? That sometimes we cause these storms in our own lives. There are consequences to our actions. Many of us are stressed out because maybe we bought into the American dream and we are are struggling to pay our bills because we have too much credit. We owe too much, and so we're stressed out. Maybe you're having trouble with your marriage today. And men, let me ask you the hard question. Are you looking at porn? Wives, are you respecting your husband? See, these are very practical things that cause storms in our lives and cause problems. See, because of our rebelliousness, our disobedience, we find ourselves in heartache, pain, and in suffering. We cause it upon ourselves. And see, these storms also occur so that we could grow. James 1, he says this, he says that our testing and our trials are so that God may make us mature, may grow us up. He's making us stronger. He wants a purified body, not a church of drama queens. He wants to sanctify us. You consider Joseph in the Bible. I mean, this dude was sold into slavery. He was falsely accused, falsely convicted, and put in jail. But we know the end of the story, right? 
that in the end it was for his benefit and the benefit of his family and for the kingdom. Romans 8.28 says, We know in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purposes. And as we sang earlier, nothing is wasted. That he was working all things for our good. He's building his church, his body, for his glory. Now, there are other storms. Some storms we can't really explain. Some storms we don't know why they happen or why they occur. Maybe we know later in life, and maybe we not. They're mysterious. They're hard to understand. There are things in your life that, man, I can't explain to you why it's happened. There are things that occurred. There's some suffering that's taken place that I have no explanation for. And my words can't suffice. But I know the ones, I know the one who does bring peace and understanding. And he's great enough that his spirit speaks to our hearts. He gives us peace. That's why we can say that there's peace that passes understanding. Uh, Matt Chandler, a great preacher, teacher in Dallas, where I'm from, three years ago he was at Thanksgiving morning with his family and he goes into a seizure in front of his kids. And so they call the hospital, they call the ambulance, call 911, the ambulance comes, picks him up and takes him, you know... They come to find out that he was diagnosed with brain, with a brain tumor, brain cancer. And so here's what he says as he's about to go under the knife because his cancer was so extreme they had to put him under almost immediately. He says, there's a part of me that I'm grateful that the Lord has counted me worthy of this. He says, I get to praise him before this. I get to praise him now, and I get to make much of him in the middle of my trial. See, that's beyond, that's beyond our natural understanding. And in the middle of his fight, as he's going through the chemo, he says, God can, and he will, heal me. And even if he doesn't, he's still good. That God is good in his seizures, And he says that God was good in preparing me for the cancer. And he's still even good in the chemo. Now that is a peace that passes all understanding. See, for those of us in the storm, or what I shall say, stormtroopers. Shout out to Star Wars. Jesus throws us a life preserver in our text. And of course it's in a question. So like Jesus, right? Always asking good questions. Look at verse 40. He says, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid, church? Don't you still have no faith? Or it could better be translated this. Where is your faith? Jesus is asking them, where is their faith? He's not really asking them how much faith they have or how strong it is. But rather, whom do you put your faith in? If you were falling off a cliff and you grabbed a branch, it's great that you grabbed the branch. But the question is, how strong is the branch? 
Can, a, can it hold you? It's not the fact that you grabbed it, but it's on whom you hold on to. Corey Tinboom has a great quote I want to share with you. It's this. It says, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, like a storm, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. So who's the branch? Who's your engineer? Who's the one that you've placed your trust in? And see, Jesus is asking the disciples here, you think you're going under, you think it's it for you, don't you know me, who I am? Jesus is saying, consider my character, that I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I do not change. And listen, church, he's the same God who heals then, who can heal now. He's the same God who moves mountains. He's the same God who delivered Israel from Pharaoh. The same God who used a boy to defeat a giant. He's the same God who made the sun sit still while Israel can have its victory. It's the same God who rescued Daniel from the lion's den. He's the same God who spoke the word, the world into existence. He's the same God who calms the storms with a simple command. So in the storm, this is what we do, church. This is what we do. We look to him. We cry out to him knowing that he hears the voice of his people. We cling to him, remembering his promises. Remembering his promises. Remember that he hears the cries of his people, that he loves us and he would send his son to die and to suffer. That he would give his son for us. And then we also remember that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And one of the great things about this text is that when the disciples thought it was it, they thought they were going under, Jesus was there all along. He was there all along. See, I don't know what storms will come your way. I don't know what may happen tomorrow. I don't know what phone call you may receive as you leave this place. I don't know what diagnosis you may receive in the future. But one thing I do know, our dad has got this. He's not an ambulance chaser. He got this. And listen, he can and he will. And even if he doesn't, He's still God. He's still God. So Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises that as though we go through storms in life, we remember that you are there with us. We cling to your promises that they are true for today. And whatever we're going through, may we just cling to you. Keeping our eyes focused on the cross. On the perfecter of our faith. That is not how much faith we have. But just that we trust you. And so Jesus, we want to look to you this morning.
and tomorrow and for the rest of our days. Because surely you are enough, Jesus. The fact that we get to know you is enough. You're good and you're enough.